0: eligible items only exclusions apply see ebaymotors.com all right today's episode of something to wrestle with is brought to you by starcast on fight.com you know bruce and i have been doing these live shows now gosh for more than two years but we're finally winding it down man the last live show we have scheduled at least for the foreseeable future maybe the last one ever happening at StarCast and we've never given you the ability to watch from home but now you can live and on demand in glorious HD at StarCast on fight.com. and that's going down on Sunday there's also a live talk as Jericho there there's going to be a retrospective with Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn on Sunday and just announced a little inside the ropes action with Dustin Rhodes the natural that's just Sunday and there's a lot more going down on Sunday but what about all the other days What about the Lost Tape with Bret Hart and Tom McGee that we've talked about here on the show? Those guys are going to both be on stage discussing that match and a little peek behind the paint from Sting. Arn Anderson on stage with a live mic for the first time in nearly 20 years. What about Ric Flair and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat sitting down with JR to talk about their famous trilogy of matches from 1989? How about Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks discussing how in the world all elite wrestling came to be a thing? But the main event, it's all about the roast of Ric Flair. Are you kidding me? You can get all of these shows, more than I can list in this commercial. We're talking nearly two dozen shows, nearly 40 hours of content, and it's all happening for one low price, just 59 bucks at StarCastOnFight.com. Now, don't forget, there's two R's in StarCast, just like Starcade, and Fight is F-I-T-E. That's StarCastOnFight.com. Check it out. You'll be glad you did.
1: Welcome to
2: Something we to Wrestle with. Welcome to Wrestle with. Bruce
1: Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Pritchard. Well,
2: what say you? <laughs> and now, something to wrestle with. Call Bruce Pritchard. He's the very most reckoned.
0: Good night. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, that's good. Welcome to wrestle. My world title match. Welcome to, something to, something, to, something, to, something, to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard.
1: What's up, everyone? It's Tony Schiavone. That's right, Tony Schiavone, and on behalf of Conrad Thompson and Bruce Pritchard. Welcome to Something to Wrestle With, Bruce Pritchard. In this program, we are going to talk about Triple H, Paul Levesque, The Game, Hunter Hurst Helmsley. Whatever you want to call him, he has certainly made a profound impact on pro wrestling. Now, Conrad, as I said, and Bruce will join us in a few moments, but I want to take this moment to thank all of the wrestling fans for making Conrad's podcasts especially the one you're listening to right now, something to wrestle with the finest sports podcast out there. I'm speaking on behalf of myself, speaking on behalf of Bruce Pritchard, Eric Bischoff, and our newest partner, J.R. Jim Ross. We are having a great time going back and taking a look at some of the great moments, not only in the WWE, but in professional wrestling worldwide. Let's get to Conrad and Bruce Pritchard. I'm going to be promoting my podcast a little bit later on in this program, but right now, let's take a look at Triple H. Now, before he became the powerful man that we've all grown to love, Triple H was an upper mid-card wrestler trying to break through. In this clip, Bruce talks about Triple H against mankind in the big blue cage and how it was settled with a hit to the ass.
0: So we got more promos the following week. You know, we're talking about, and this is one of my favorite Bret Hart promos. Uh, This is on July 28th in Pittsburgh. Bret says, if you wanted to give the United States an enema, you'd stick the hose right here in Pittsburgh. What a great line that
2: is. Right, Bruce?
0: It's
2: a horrible line, Conrad. I was just in Pittsburgh. It's a beautiful city. And by God, it's in America.
0: Well, it was a good line. You're it right. Was a though.
2: great You got to admit it was, a great, it was a great line. And one of the best that I think everybody remembers everywhere. That was good shit. He
0: said that the uh, Patriot debuted coming out, standing next to Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels. And he says that would be like Bill Clinton standing next to the Unabomber and Richard Simmons, uh, draw your own conclusions there. And, and he also goes and, and takes a couple of jabs at Shawn Michaels saying, you know, if he screws him out of the title, he can quote, sit at home for 10 years and find this smile. One of the better promos. This is probably the best promo year of right. Brett's career. Don't you agree?
2: This, this entire just time in Bret Hart's career to me was some of the best shit because you got to, you got the sourpuss Brett and you get, you got to see a different side of Brett that people had never seen before. And it came across as genuine and true. And it was the best work I think Brett has ever done in his career.
0: This is the raw, where we see Hunter Hearst Helmsley wrestling Vader, or he's supposed to, but mankind comes out dressed up as a cameraman and attacks Helmsley until China takes him down and starts pounding him. They start brawling through the crowds, Hunter and mankind. Whose idea was dressing up mankind like a cameraman. That's kind of fun. We hadn't seen that That, a lot at that time.
2: It was Mick's idea. And I remember saying to Mick, Mick, I don't know how the hell we're going to disguise you as as a cameraman and get you to ringside to where people aren't going to know it's you. I mean, look at you. And I swear to God, Mick turns and there was a cable puller that was down around the ring and he was helping set up that night. He goes, well, look at that guy. And I went case closed. All right. We can put you in a cap. We can get you in a, in an outfit, get you down the ring. It'll be fine. Um, yeah, that was Mick Foley's idea. We also see
0: an arm wrestling match here with shamrock and bulldog. Of course there's dog food involved. Let's talk about the setup here for what's going to be a big part of our opening match. During the summer, we see a sit down shoot style interview with Mick Foley and he's talking to good old JR and he's talking about his upbringing and how as a youngster, he wanted to be dude love. And we see video footage of him cutting promos as this dude love character, which is a heart throb baby face. And Mick wrote in his book, I was surprised one evening to hear Bruce Pritchard say, you know, we're going to make a dude
2: love shirt. Were you the first person who saw that? Well, yeah, I was probably, well, I was one of the first people that ever heard the story of dude love as far as I know. in in that dressing room. So we were in Toronto and it was myself, Sean Michaels. Uh, I think Hunter might've been there. Pat Patterson. I don't know if Taker was there, but it was after, it was after the matches and Mick was talking about something. He was talking to Sean and Sean was saying something along the lines of, you know, Cactus Jack and uh, Mankind and that type of character. And Mick made a comment along the lines of, goes well, Sean, growing up, I always wanted to be somebody like you. I wanted to be the hot baby face that all the girls loved. As a matter of fact, when I was a kid, I did promos, and my friend and and he had his, his friend, like Jim Cornette, had Kenny Bolin. Mick had his friend whatever his name was, they used to play wrestle and cut promos. And he goes, my name was dude love. And I, I, I saw myself in, in my eyes, I was you. And we all got a good laugh out of it. Mick telling this story. I went back and shared the story with Vince. I said, can you imagine this deal? And and Mick Foley, the human being has such an interesting story. That that's how the three faces of Foley came about. And we started going into the Mick Foley, the Cactus Jack, and then eventually dude love that. It was so damn rich. Every kid can imagine being in their basement and cutting promos and being some character they create. So I was like, yeah, we're going to do dude love. And he thought I was ribbing him. He thought I was just completely fucking with him.
0: He wrote in his book that he received a surprise phone call from Vince who said, Hey pal, how would you like to be dude love? And he didn't know what to say. He assumed he meant for the next pay-per-view and Vince said, no, I mean from now on. And of course Foley was really digging the way mankind was going. And he says that Vince said, I'm not saying we can't ever go back there, but fans will love this dude love story. It's such a great PR story. Regis and Kathy Lee would love something like this. You know, children will love him. Fans who already love mankind will love him. And people won't be afraid to bring their girlfriends to the matches because dude won't threaten them. He's a safe sex symbol, which is hilarious to me. Um, Vince would say, we'll play it up. Huge girls pyro. We're even going to team you up with Steve. And here you go. The summer of love was born and he gets new entrance music and the whole deal. When you guys first roll out dude
2: love, does anybody think who booked this shit? Or, is this a rib? At first, I think Mick thought it was a rib, but once, once you saw how he played it and how over the top it was, damn! It, it was like you know you're getting two characters for the price of one, three characters for the price of one, four characters when you throw in Mick. Um, it was it was interesting storytelling, and it was something people could now identify with. Mick Foley, because I think everybody could relate to that guy that wanted to be somebody else growing up. And now he's realizing his dream.
0: First match is a cage match. We're getting this one started in a big way. Mankind and Hunter Hearst Hemsley have been on a collision course here and China is on the outside, but that's not going to keep her from interfering, whether there are chains involved or, um, slamming the door on his head. They're pulling out all the stops here, but the big spot is it looks like mankind is going to win. He climbs over the top of the cage, almost down to the floor. And at the very bottom of the cage, which stops at the top of the ring apron, he looks up and then decides to take his mask off, throw it over into the ring and then climb back up, tear the top of his mankind top, and then drop the big elbow, just like dude love would do. It's a pretty cool moment. Of course, eventually they play the dude love music. And two and a half stars is where we get, um, what do you think? Meltzer says that, uh, the match had its high spots and memorable spots. And in hindsight was very well laid out, but something was missing from the body of the match and it just didn't have heat. And I don't know that I dis I don't know that I necessarily disagree with, you know, the crowd wasn't responding maybe the way they could have, because I remembered this match much more fondly than the way they received it. Than I was sort of shocked with the way it was received when I watched it back 20 something years later.
2: I thought it was a good match. I thought it was a solid match. There were just funny spots in it where at the top, when Mick Foley was climbing over the top of the cage and China climbs up on the outside of the cage to stop him, she goes to (laughs) Mick has his ass basically in her face. And China goes, I don't know what the hell she was trying to do, but she basically punches him in the ass. And for those of us backstage, everybody popped because it was just a funny sight, the way he sold it, and Mick going back in the ring from an ass punch. But also watching it back all these years later in the psychology, sometimes especially for a heel, where Hunter had Mick completely beat in the ring. All he had to do was walk out the door, but I'm going to go back for more punishment. And the psychology killed me on, on some of those spots. Uh, for Mick to do it at the end and do the superfly spot and Mick to eventually go over, I'm fine with that. Um, but the also the other thing that for years everybody talked about was China slamming the cage door a Big Blue on Mick Foley's head. And I don't care who you are. That fucking cage was the stiffest son of a bitch ever made. And there was no way to protect yourself or, or cushion that shot. And that was one of those that for guys that have been in the big blue cage, they cringe every time they see it.
0: Wade Keller, I'm sorry, not Wade Keller. Mick Foley actually wrote about in his book that China swung that cage door as hard as she could, which is the way he insisted that she do things like that but that it fucking nailed him and gave him a concussion. And he said, it hurt so bad that he didn't even hold his head. He held his shoulder because he had shooting pains down his arm, but that wasn't the only head trauma he suffered here. There's a spot in the match where Hunter slams his head into the cage 10 times unanswered and about every other time it leaves a lump on his head. So he wakes up the next day all lumped up and in a bad way. But of course he finished the match Got his big super fly moment. And as if that wasn't obvious from him climbing and, you know, the, the heart tattoo and the, I love you hand signal, Jim Ross is putting it over really big and helping you at home sort of connect the dots. Did you talk to Mick afterwards? This is sort of, you know, his first big breakout moment about him achieving his boyhood dream of sorts. What did he think of the match afterwards?
2: You know, immediately, I think Mick was pleased with it. I think it was a big deal for him to be in a cage match and quote the New York market and be able to do that spot off the cage, which is what he wanted to do, was that big elbow off the top. I think both guys were pleased with the match, and there was nothing not to be pleased with. It told a good story. Psychology-wise, it might have changed a few things, but again, that's looking out of hindsight.
1: There was no doubt this man was destined for greatness in and out of the ring. And the time finally came to coordinate the game as the King of Kings and give him the big belt. In this clip, Bruce explains who was for and who was against Triple H in the first title reign, does an amazing Hunter impression as only Bruce can do. And Conrad, as he's well known to do, almost brings the whole show to a halt when Bruce says something shocking.
0: Why was now the right time to make him the guy?
2: Well, that was an argument that went back and forth. And there were a lot of us that didn't think it was the right time to make him the guy. There was, um, there was a feeling that he wasn't ready for it. Um, Vince Russo and Vince McMahon obviously felt that he was, but I think more than anything, because you couldn't call it and nobody was calling that triple H is going to be the champion at the time. Um, so it was uh, people still, here's the thing. As long as Sean was involved in any way, triple H was overshadowed with Sean's presence and Sean being out there and people wanting, wanting Sean. And there was always that comparison
0: Hey, man, do you have the Turo app on your phone yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Turo is peer-to-peer car-sharing marketplace where you can book any car you want, wherever you want, from a community of local hosts. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's because you're probably familiar with other services that do something similar to that, but not for cars. You see, this thing is awesome. It replaces the traditional rental car rigmarole. Because with Turo, you can get exotic cars to practical daily drivers. You choose the best car for you, whatever your budget. I love the Turo app, and you will too. Just check it out and see what's available in your home market. And the next time you travel, or maybe you need to move in your local market, you don't have to find a friend with a truck. Go to Turo. This thing is awesome. There's a thousand uses like that. And by the way, you can download the app for free. It's Turo, T-U-R-O, on the App Store or Google Play, or just visit Turo.com, T-U-R-O.com. And you can even get $25 off your first trip when you sign up for Turo and use the promo code WRESTLE at checkout. Terms apply, but dude, try it out and use that code WRESTLE. Save yourself 25 bucks.
2: If you were going to go with with Triple H by himself, then let's go with him. But the more, every time that Sean got in the picture, it was comparisons to Sean and, and it just made you look at Hunter less than so there, there were people that, that didn't think that, uh, me included that didn't think that it was the right time to put the title on triple H at the time. Didn't feel that felt he was, he was great in that picture, but man, the champion and the, uh, Promos. Uh, I uh, am uh, the game, uh, and uh, I uh, proved uh, to the world. Uh, and it was like, fuck. How long is this fucking promo gonna go? And there was just that. That was that was the wrap. But it was, you know, they went with it, and the rest is history, as they say.
0: Oh man, I can't believe let's mark the date and time. You just said something critical of triple H. I never thought this day would come. I feel like this might be our last episode. You, I should,
2: you should listen to why this will be our last episode. You should go back and listen to the archives.
0: Oh yeah. over at something to com. Now this segment is uh an opening segment that goes like over 15 minutes. Is this when it really starts to become a thing for the opening segment to go long because they've got to fill time? Do you think?
2: No, it wasn't about filling time. It was, it was about people like talk Russo, like to, like to hear his words sometimes come out. So it, it was a formula. It became very formulaic and they still do it to this day. I guess some respects it works when you can go out and cut your promos and set up your the evening it makes it more spontaneous. You've got to tune in to see what's going to happen. If you can set your night up in that first hour well enough, then people are going to grow. The audience will grow throughout the, the rest of the show. But, uh, you know, rock interrupt, man. Rock was on fire at this time. And then Shawn Michaels coming out rock and rocking his brother love suit, which was gimmick infringement. Um, you got all the stars out there, man. In that, in that first 15 minutes so your first quarter, you, you knew what was going to happen for the next two hours.
0: Next up blue mini holds up a photo of Sable from TV guide as part of the Blair bitch project. And it winds up being edited from the show and the lawsuit involving her was settled not long before this. Was it a stipulation that you guys couldn't run her down on TV? Why did you do this? Why did it not air?
2: Um, as far as why it didn't air, because it sucked, it was eh, just one of the, in my opinion. Okay. I'm sure some people disagree. I thought it was some of the stupidest, silliest, nonsensical, non-directional shit that they ever did. There was no payoff to it. Nobody knew a payoff. and, And it was just. I couldn't tell you why they were doing it or what the, what the end result was ever supposed to be. And I guarantee you there's probably no one alive that can tell you.
0: Um, next up we see Billy Gunn beat Jeff Jarrett when China knocks out Deborah. Jeff is the intercontinental champion. And this is a non-title match. Uh, Jarrett wound up winning both the intercontinental and the European title at SummerSlam from DLO, but then he forfeits the European title on raw to Mark Henry and it's the first match in SmackDown history, which I guess is a little fun fact that both um, Billy Gunn and Jeff Jarrett can claim. Next up, we see. Well, how, you know,
2: hang on. Uh, you know what I always liked about Jeff Jarrett? What's that? He wore the championship. No matter what it was, Jeff was a champion. He wore the championship belt and made it. You know, he he presented himself as a champion. Didn't throw it over his shoulder. Didn't drag it. He, he wore the damn thing and made it special and that, you know, watching it because it had become not the norm. And I actually Hunter did it in the first segment as well. But then after a while, takes it off, throws it over his shoulder. Jeff wore it and wore it with pride. I thought that was just one of those. It's an old, that old pro type thing that you notice. And you always tell guys the championship, make it special.
0: We also see that uh, Blue Meaning found Stevie Richards dressed up like Sable and then it's time to go ahead and have our main event. We've got Triple H beating The Rock when Shawn Michaels turns heel on Rock by hitting him with Sweet Chin Music and then Triple H hits the pedigree for the pin. And this seemingly looks like a restart for DX but nothing really came of it. Is this the the situation? Is this the episode? Is this the Smackdown? where there was a bit of a a situation backstage with the rock and Shawn Michaels.
2: No, you know, this was an example of let's do something to get out of it. How about this? And we'll do a swerve. What do we do next? I don't know. Um, works for tonight. Let's get through tonight. We'll figure out next week, tomorrow. And I think that's what, what this was, uh, let's have this big, you know, you gotta have a big, big show. This was a pay-per-view. This, this, this show was a pay-per-view quality show, all big matches, uh, leading up to a big crescendo. You get a, a big finish and a big swerve and a big turn, but there wasn't any, there wasn't really that much thought into, okay, what do we do next?
0: It was, uh, it's been talked about, I believe even by, um, rock's dad, Rocky Johnson, he said in a shoot interview, quote, Sean threw the sweet chin music, and I guess he kicked him a little too hard. So Dwayne went back in the dressing room and said, Hey man, you hit me a little too hard. Calm down. But then Sean got smart with him and said something like, if you can't take it, then you shouldn't be in this business. The next thing you know, he's on the floor and Dwayne is on top of him. So that happened with the finish here.
2: That didn't happen. That's, that's all. That's a story. And I believe that's just a story. They probably had words and, and got blown out of proportion and legend has grown from there.
0: Why was Sean not back here? A lot of the rumor and innuendo is that in around this time, it may have even been this episode. Uh, triple H sort of buries him thinking that maybe he still got some, substance issues, what, what well, this feels like it could have been a storyline, but it wasn't. So that's the reason a lot of people sort of circle. This show was maybe when that could have been the case.
2: Well, it was also the case of you didn't have Sean. Didn't want to work full time. Wasn't going to work full time. So what the hell do you do with him? And he was a commissioner and then it's like, okay, you, you do this, then what? And there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of thought out plan it could actually come to fruition because he he couldn't work. He wasn't going to work at that time. And you're, you're stuck. Now you got a guy in addition to that, the overwhelming feeling, like I said, in the very beginning about triple H in order for triple H ever to get over on his own, he needs to be away from Sean for as long as Sean's there in any way, shape or form, there's going to be the comparison. There's always going to be that feeling that, um, Sean's the leader of the group Sean's the head of it And the spotlight goes over to him And or that spotlight widens And less of a spotlight on Triple H If there was ever a time for him to get over You had to get him away from Sean That probably led more Into the decision making than anything Coupled with You're not going to get a match out of it
1: So what do you do? Don't book him I wouldn't count on another critique of Mr. Levesque anytime soon. So as Conrad said, let's remember the moment. Coming up now from a few different shows. From the Something to Wrestle archives and some of Triple H's greatest hits. Was Triple H trying to find his way into the main event amongst The Rock in Austin in 03? Was there heat between Goldberg and Triple H? What was the deal with the Triple H against Scott Steiner feud? Is it fair to say that Triple H held down RVD? And finally, let's all have some fun listening to Bruce defend Triple H beating Taz in a WWE ring while Taz was the ECW champion. Well, fun maybe for everyone, but Taz.
0: Wade Keller wrote that Steve Austin, I'll just read it here. Steve Austin must come away from the next three months stronger than ever. To do that, he would score pinfall wins over Bill Goldberg and Hulk Hogan if not also triple H and the rock WWE must also get through the next few months, making sure that Kurt angle and Brock Lesnar seem to be every bit as big of a star as the rock Hulk Hogan undertaker, Kevin Nash, Shawn Michaels and Goldberg. Triple H has the power to look out for himself and he surely will. I find that remark interesting because even Wade Keller's own rumor and innuendo and speculation. Is that if Goldberg isn't signed, then Austin's probably going to take on the rock and that leaves Hunter without an obvious foe. So get the chapstick out here. Bruce was Hunter jockeying for a WrestleMania match that you remember at this point, like what was, what was he angling for?
2: Well, I don't know that he's jockeying for anything because we had the rock Austin match. That's what we were building to. And then we were building to, uh, on the other side, on the SmackDown side, Kurt and Brock. And right in the middle there was Vincent Hogan. And unfortunately, storyline wise, Triple H, because with, uh, Steiner, it wasn't something that we were going to get three out of with Scott. So unfortunately I was kind of left out in the cold, but it wasn't Hunter was won- jockeying for anything at this point there just wasn't really anything there in the big picture at this time, getting him to WrestleMania. So you have to look at that story for WrestleMania to be a launching pad for the next summer, instead of an ending, instead of being an ending and a blow off, it had to be a beginning. And that's the price you pay. Sometimes
0: the idea being that WrestleMania isn't always the beginning, but it is, if you don't have a hot feud right then, then it's time to start another one.
2: Right. And it's, you got all those eyeballs. So you just try something new if you don't have something to blow off.
0: So let's talk about Scott Steiner. And we've, we've talked about this a lot on our Steiner brothers episode, but he has a less than awesome performance at the Royal rumble. We're going to get into the rematch here. Did You guys already knew going into this match that there's not going to be a trilogy. It's not going to be Scott Steiner and Hunter at WrestleMania,
2: right? Yes, we did. We did. It wasn't going to happen. And Scott's physical, uh, abilities, just his better days were behind him at this point. So we weren't going to get three out of it. And we we had to move on. We had to cut bait and we had to do something else.
0: They do a thing where both Bischoff, who was the raw GM and Stephanie McMahon, who's the SmackDown GM are trying to get Scott to sign with them in their show. And Scott eventually chooses raw and, uh, Scott made some sort of sexual type advance at Stephanie, which she declined. What are your memories of that angle?
2: <laughs> um just something, you know, we had done it was similar to the you know old Randy Savage when Randy Savage came into the WWF years ago and all the managers vying for his services and who's gonna be Randy's manager. Wanted to try and recreate that a little bit with Scott here in that both General managers, Raw and SmackDown, wanted Scott Steiner on their show because when he debuted, it was a it was a Raw and SmackDown shared show on Survivor Series, so no one really knew where is he going to end up. He didn't say it was Raw, didn't say it was SmackDown. So just to create that buzz as to, oh my God, where the hell is he going to end up? Um, did a lot of sexual stuff with Stephanie McMahon at that time, so it was a natural for the big booty daddy to do something with stephanie
0: um did vince write that because we we've had sort of some freestyling here on the show uh that makes me think that vince has sort of an interesting relationship with stephanie in the way he writes some of the tv
2: could that big booty daddy get in that booty right there Look at the big booby baby. That's what I'm talking about. And the big booty daddy and the big booby baby. Now that's money. Do you smell it? Do you smell it? I smell it. Something like
0: that. We should just roll credits. Show's over, folks. It's not going to get any better than that. Uh, Scott said in hindsight, he would have preferred to have gone to SmackDown, but they wanted him on Raw so he could wrestle
2: Triple H. Does he
0: express that one way or another?
2: Not to us, no. And it was, it was a creative team. I was working on both Raw and SmackDown during this time, so it was pretty much him coming in and and going right into a program with Triple H on Raw. So December sixteenth on
0: Raw, they're doing Triple H Appreciation Night. And this is the night after he won the world title from Shawn Michaels at Armageddon, and Triple H says it's hard to be humble when you're the best, and starts naming off all the people he's beaten. And then Scott Steiner's music hits. He comes out and tells triple H that he's never beaten him. And Bischoff reveals that they had an understanding. And Scott said, his contract says he gets a title shot or he's out of here. They go back and forth on the mic for a while before triple H leaves. And a week later on raw triple H calls out Scott and challenges him to an arm wrestling match. Whose idea was the arm wrestling match?
2: (laughs) Uh, It was Vince's and the philosophy behind it. Was going back to the, again, with Scott, man, so much of it was based on a lot of superstar Billy Graham and a lot of things that we had done in the past that had worked big time. So it was a way that Triple H and Scott can have a physical encounter without having a physical encounter. Get them in the ring together without having to have them beat the shit out of each other. So it, you build up, and it's almost like building up for a match to get to the arm wrestling. And uh, it's just an old school tactic that really fit with two guys with this kind of physique.
0: Yeah, it's funny that you bring up physique here, too, because Triple H was known as the body guy in the WWE at the time. And especially when he comes back from his quad injury in January Oh two, he's more jacked than ever. And then in comes Scott Steiner. And Scott winds up winning this arm wrestling match and slams Triple H's arm down three more times after it. So, did Triple H express any sort of concern to not being because this is something he takes a lot of pride in as a former bodybuilder? What's his feelings about Scott Steiner and the way he's made to look very quickly losing this uh, arm wrestling match in very
2: dominating fashion? He's a heel. That's what heels do. So yeah, that was, that was not an issue at all. That was the damn finish of the arm wrestling match. You're not going to bring Scott Steiner in and and have him lose an arm wrestling match. So that not even remotely an issue.
0: I should mention just, uh, I, I skipped it briefly here on December 14th in Jacksonville, Scott Steiner beat John Cena. That's not something that I thought I would have ever seen that those guys really crossed paths, but they did. Uh, so Jacksonville, Florida, December 14th. Um, let's talk about where we're going from here with triple H because we're clearly building towards uh, a title shot. Wade killer would write this in the torch. He wrote triple H was scheduled to face Scott Steiner in their first singles match this past weekend in Honolulu, Hawaii. However, mainly due to Hunter's nagging leg injury and partly due to Steiner's lack of conditioning for singles matches, the January 3rd Honolulu match was changed to Steiner teaming with Rob Van Dam against Triple H and Batista. Hunter did the job in the match submitting to Steiner after Shawn Michaels interfered with sweet chin music on Triple H, and the same tag match took place uh, Sunday in Colorado Springs, but ended with RVD pinning Batista. Michaels was not a part of that match. Hunter and Steiner engaged in mind games with Hunter mocking Steiner's mannerisms, And then playing chicken to Steiner in the ring, their actual wrestling exchanges were limited. Uh, chat me up about this situation where allegedly they're not as confident in Scott's ability to work a singles match here. So they call an audible.
2: Well, there was concern there because Scott wasn't in, you know, he really wasn't in ring shape and he was in great shape, but he hadn't been in the ring on a regular basis. So they to protect him, they did tag matches just to make sure that, you know, he could tag in and out and get the best out of him. He just wasn't ready.
0: Who has these concerns and who's saying he's not
2: ready is triple H saying, man, he's not ready. Triple H is saying it. The agents are saying it and you can just watch, you know, the matches. He's running out of gas a lot faster and you know, he's just, he's a step off. So he's got to get, and that's, strictly from being, you know, goddamn, he was out for a long time and now he's coming back in and now he's, he's going back into a regular schedule. And unless you're in the ring working, you know, three, four or five times a week, it takes a while to get your ring legs back under you.
0: Which explains why you're not putting him on TV a lot in matches. You're doing arm wrestling and what you would do on January 6th, which is a pose down, uh, old school, Rick Groot, ultimate warrior style this time though, with triple H and Scott Steiner, uh, of course, triple H picks the judges and they vote for him to win. And they all attack Scott afterwards, but he quickly gets the better of them. What do you remember about the pose down on raw?
2: Well, it was something that you could do that. We knew (laughs) again, going stealing more pages out of that superstar Billy Graham, playbook and, and you go back and you look at the stuff that Billy Graham did with Tony Atlas and, and different things through the years. This was that old time, two big muscle heads coming together and they're going to collide. So you go after what they both take pride in their body and how they look. And this was an opportunity because Steiner looked great, man. Just don't, you know, don't shoot the legs. And, uh, the pose down was a way for him to make, make him look great and come out on top.
0: There's a line in here, I believe, um, where triple H says something like you're built for show I'm built to go. Was that the way the locker room sort of looked at it too? Or is that triple H sort of convincing himself that, Hey, no, I don't look as good as that, but I can still wrestle and this guy can't wrestle. So I've got the better body for wrestling.
2: Well, yeah, that's something a heel would say when they lose.
0: Well, but I'm talking about real life brother.
2: It was written for him by a
0: writer. So Triple H wasn't in on the writing at the time?
2: No. Okay.
0: All right. I guess what we read all these years about him being in on the meetings is bullshit. Uh, January 13th on Raw. No, he
2: was in on production meetings. He was not in on creative meetings. Okay.
0: Uh, They're supposed to do a uh, bench press competition. I'm sure this was written for him as well. Uh, Steiner says he's going to warm up with 585 pounds. And then triple H comes down in a suit. They go back and forth on the mic a few minutes. Uh, and then Scott comes down to the ring and they start to fight. Steiner rips off. Triple H's clothes down to his underwear and triple H leaves. This is very old school. Ricky steamboat, Rick flair. Is it not?
2: This is old school. I don't know about Steam. Did steamboat and flair do something like this? Okay.
0: Uh, Royal rumble, 2003, January 19th in Boston. Uh, I'm just going to keep reading results and you're going to say, no, triple H was great. I don't know what this
2: is. I didn't say triple Scott H, H was great. Is great I, didn't say, I, I asked you a question. I, I, you know, a lot of guys have done the clothes rip off thing and, uh, Ric Flair's made it famous. And triple H's favorite wrestler is.
0: Ric Flair. Okay. Scott beat triple H by DQ. Uh, at the Royal rumble, of course, we remember that. So triple H retains. Here's what Keller wrote of the match just before their match. Triple H faced off against Scott Steiner. Steiner whose house shows have received poor reviews from those in attendance showed that he isn't physically capable of carrying his end of a match at this point in his career. The stereotypical assumption would be that a rough and cynical Boston crowd would love Steiner's self-absorbed tough guy attitude the same way New York giants fans love talented, but bonehead rookie Jeremy Shockey. Instead, once Steiner showed he couldn't deliver by moving around the ring gingerly and looking shaky during suplexes, the crowd ate him up. Triple H's body looked good, but the price he is paying for his obsession with bodybuilding is taking a toll on the health of the company he earns paychecks from. His injuries, not at all unrelated to his obsession with being as big as possible, have limited his ability to carry someone with Steiner's limitations. Triple H's obsession with only wrestling proven name brands and main events Rather than taking pride in elevating up-and-comers as taking a toll on the quality of his big matches and therefore his drawing power, rather than surround himself with opponents who can work circles around him athletically and whom he can teach a thing or two about psychology and main event prudence. He has stuck himself with tired veterans, such as the undertaker, Shawn Michaels, and now Scott Steiner. It's not working. The booing of Steiner didn't stop once the match ended. After the match, when in character, he threw the title belt on Triple H's body and the crowd booed. When Steiner raised his arms to get cheers from the crowd, they booed again. When he stood on the second rope a few seconds later, hoping that he was high enough for the crowd to see who he was, they still booed. They weren't just booing the DQ finish. They were booing his performance and Triple H's inability to cover for him. What do you think of Wade Killer's comments here of this Royal Rumble disaster?
2: Unfortunately true. And it was everybody looking at it going, wow, is he more injured than we were led to believe? You know, like we had heard he had the back, we knew he had the drop foot, but it just wasn't, you know, it just wasn't there to be able to, to carry a singles match. And, we had tried doing the stuff, getting him ready by putting him in house shows prior to that. It stunk. It just stunk the house. It was a clash. It was a clash of styles, and it sucked. In that audience, I think you could have put that match, you know, anywhere in the country, and people would have shit on it. Not just Boston. With Goldberg, they ask, you know, why did it take so long
0: to sign? And he says, because I use my brain. Anybody in the same position, if they were saying they would have done the same thing. And he's saying the reason he came back to wrestling was to entertain little kids. And specifically because he got an email from a guy whose brother died in the war because he was shot by a sniper. The kid was like 19 years old, but he was obsessed with Goldberg. And he said, hearing that really made him sit back and say something like, man, where the hell are my priorities? What's my calling? And that sort of woke him up. And made him realize I need to try to make a deal.
2: Did you hear that story? No, but I, I, I guess it was out there on, on damn WWE.com, But,
0: um, I... All right, everybody. It's time to tell you about Robin hood. Uh, this is an investing app that helps you buy and sell stock ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get you started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of something to wrestle a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. So, what are you waiting for? Sign up right now at wrestle.robinhood.com. That's wrestle.robinhood.com. And I can't tell you how often we get tweeted about people getting a free stock. I saw some money the other day say they got a stock that I just think it sounds too good to be true. I know when Bruce did it, he got a piece of Apple stock. You've got to do this. Check it out right now. Claim your free stock at wrestle.robinhood.com.
2: I really and truly believe Bill believes that and that, 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 probably was a reason for Bill,
0: but, but that ain't why he held out. No, thank you. I heard you. Ha- I heard the butt hanging. I just needed you to bring it on home. No, it's like, I mean, come on. It's fucking stupid.
2: You know, it's great to say that. And I believe that he probably feels that, but come on.
0: Yeah. That's not why he held out for less dates. Right. <laughs> right. Just, you know, it's like, well, that guy got shot. So I want to work less. I want to give him less. Away. No, you didn't come on. That's silly. Um, when asked if, uh, you know, he had sort of squashed the beef with triple H after their run in at the appearance, he said something like, well, ask him business is business. Do you remember there being some sort of, a, a come to Jesus meeting between the two once he started or what did that look like?
2: I don't know that it was a come-to-Jesus meeting as much as it was, you know, hey, how you doing? And everybody's got an opportunity. If you want to say something, say something. And nothing was said other than welcome and let's work together. Um, I don't think that there was any, okay, guys, we've had our differences. If, if it was, I wasn't aware of it. And I think they probably just saw each other, said hello, and moved on.
0: Let me make you laugh here for a minute. Was there ever any consideration of putting Goldberg on Smackdown?
2: Uh, no, not because that's raw. Uh, rock was so rock was on uh, raw at the time. So since he was going to be working with rock, that's where he went. Why don't you think they did like a big
0: elaborate contract signing angle with Goldberg
2: for the shock value of just having him come in and interrupt rock, do something different. And if you, after a while, if everything's about a big contract signing and all that shit, it just then that becomes predictable and boring.
0: I guess it's worth mentioning here that RVD did indeed get a win over Triple H on September second. RVD's teaming with Ric Flair to take on Triple H and Jericho. This is where you kiss ass, not me.
2: Oh yeah, RVD shouldn't have beaten Triple H. understood the pedigree his ass. Like he
0: did at the Royal Rumble and embarrassed him in his first Royal Rumble. I agree.
2: Why is that embarrassing?
0: well i mean the bushwhacker looked the motherfucker i didn't i mean pretty much so september 9th rvd wins a four corner match against big show jeff hardy and jericho and the gist is you get to be the number one contender for the world title so the next week of course he loses the intercontinental title to jericho now most people would say well that's because you're going to put the world title on him let's see what happens september 2nd unforgiven Triple H beats RVD to retain the title after Flair comes in and hit RVD with a sledgehammer. And this started Triple H and Flair's alliance officially, and it eventually became Evolution. The match goes 18 minutes and 17 seconds. And here's what Wade Keller had to say Good crowd heat for the opening antics between the two. RVD outwrestled Hunter in the early minutes. Hunter went to ringside to catch his breath. RVD had a water bottle thrown at him and mocked triple H's water sprouting routine, uh, hunter got even more upset and charged DVD uh, RVD who gave him an arm drag followed by a hip toss and a side headlock. Eventually Ross points out that RVD was winning with basics rather than with dazzling kicks and flips, not an all that intense match, but a very good action climaxing with RVD signaling for the five-star frog splash. He scored a visual three count on Hunter and RVD jumped to ringside to get the ref's attention and Hunter gave RVD a low blow from behind and then grabbed a sledgehammer from under the ring. RVD leaped and kicked the hammer out of Hunter's hands, flare around to the ring, picked up the sledgehammer, um, and then turns and nails RVD in the gut with the hammer Hunter looks shocked, but nevertheless, pedigrees RVD and covers him. Ref the, the ref is thrown into the ring by Flair. Flair looks at Hunter and says, "You're the man," and hands him the big
2: gold belt. Three and a half stars. What did you think of the match? I thought they had a hell of a match. And you know, it's it's funny when you said, "Oh, what what predictably what should have happened was because RVD lost Intercontinental title, we're going to put the world title on him." And unfortunately, sometimes that was the thought that okay, we're going to do that. We're going to. Uh, swerve the smart fans who think that's what's going to happen. And that's not going to happen. It's a story. And yes, people were probably leaning there, which again makes the flare turn and the marriage with Hunter and Flair mean more, and he got screwed. So it was a good story.
0: RVD clearly here has said that he felt like Hunter was holding him down and that Hunter was always cordial to him. And they were always cordial to each other but he just doesn't believe triple H saw in him what the fans did. And in later years, he's almost freestyled. Maybe he's right because he's making the decisions up there and I'm not, um, was there anybody else that was sort of down on Rob or or was it just Hunter holding him down personally?
2: No, there were, there were some agents that weren't, you know, completely sold on RVD and not, and probably because it was of the stigma of ECW and the, the hardcore style, that just carried you know it was like that black cloud almost sometimes but from the match from this match i remember hunter going okay you know what man that was good match and and liking rob at first hunter didn't see it and he really you know he was vocal about it going i don't get it and that was the feeling backstage a lot of people
0: in wrestling at this point think that rob van damme is one of, if not the best performer in the company, at least on this run. He had this first year pro wrestling illustrated, which was still a thing. Um, gave him the number one in the PWI 500 that year and said that he outwrestled everybody else on the roster. Tommy dreamer tells a different story though. He's briefly on the booking team for hiccup around WrestleMania 19 and 2003. And triple H didn't have an opponent yet. We just covered this. And allegedly, Tommy suggests Rob, but Triple H sort of shrugs that off as being ridiculous because Rob's not over enough. Do you remember that conversation?
2: I I don't remember Tommy Dreamer ever being in a creative meeting with us. So, uh, (laughs) you know, we've talked about that a couple of times. I don't ever remember Tommy being a part of any creative meeting that I was a part of anyway.
0: After this, he's teaming with Jeff Hardy on raw to take on Jericho and Christian. And they even do a world tag team title TLC match, uh, where they're, you know, not only taking on Jericho and Christian, but Bubba and spike Dudley and even Kane and hurricane, um, sort of a fun deal. October 13th. Here's a fun one. A lumberjack match. Triple H beat RVD. Huh? Surprise. Well, so from there, you know, I want to touch on it and we've talked about it before briefly in passing, but now a WWF contracted wrestler is the ECW world heavyweight champion. And soon after this show, this taping, you guys make the decision to put him in a SmackDown championship match against triple H, which is an interesting concept at the time, because you've got the WWF champion taking on the ECW champion uh, but you're uh, you know you're gonna take criticism from ECW fans when you have Triple H beat Taz. I just I just want you to talk about it, whatever you want to say, and then we'll move on. <laughs> I know you're gonna shit on everything I love, so go ahead.
2: Okay. Um. No, I it just made sense. It's it, why would you have him go over? Why would you have Taz go over? It, why would was you Triple book- H was the champion? He was the WWF champion at the time, and. It's just the way we were going. It it wasn't it wasn't to shit on ECW or anything like that. It's just what it was.
0: I understand the decision to not have Taz beat Triple H. I don't understand the decision to put either guy in that match. It seems unnecessary. It seems like by booking that match, you inadvertently.
2: Well, why not? Hurt in I mean, CW. why not have it? it? It's a it's an attractive match. It's one of those kind of what ifs. What's going to happen? It's an interesting matchup. And any time you can get something where the fans can't call the outcome, that's good booking.
0: Yeah, I get that it's good booking from the WWF standpoint,
2: but don't you think it is? Well, both guys work for the WWF.
0: But they're doing it with, and I know that you're going to say it's just a prop, but they're doing it with the ECW belt. And so to me, it seems like it's a very selfish and short-sighted decision by the WWF Because it doesn't help ECW, who you say that you need in business. You you
2: put their champion on national television, on worldwide television. So you give their bell worldwide exposure. How does that hurt them?
0: Well, he lost.
2: Okay. So the, the alternative is, is don't put them on at all is, is yeah. champion so don't give him any promotion well, anything at all that wrong, we're not we're not going to reap the rewards of
0: well that's my question is what's wrong with just booking him in a regular match having taz you know
2: and beat having a, beat a wwf guy
0: no you could bring it he could have defended an ecw guy or just a local enhancement talent and then you get it on national television but you don't necessarily hurt the again ECW we
2: didn't brand. we didn't own ecw so, so just it wasn't, that, it, that, that wasn't advantageous to us. Then why are you paying them every week? So that our talent would have a place to go for developmental. If so you, they would but, stay in business for if, talent to go in if between you bury the
0: belt. Don't you see how that's even a little contradictory?
2: No, and, I don't. I see by giving the belt exposure that it helps their brand.
0: Even if the expo, even if it's, so let me ask you this. Why, when WCW was beating I mean like a drum they were beating WWF I don't know how many weeks I lost count you guys lost so much Uh, why didn't you just send Bret Hart over or Shawn Michaels over and let Hulk Hogan beat him Uh, not for the belt or anything but just beat him on Nitro because that way your champion would have exposure on a
2: much bigger show we didn't have a working relationship with them I would
0: have tried to work one out I mean with this logic it seems fucking foolproof
2: maybe not (laughs)
0: I can't believe you don't see that that's contradictory at all. This is amazing to me. Because it's not. It is a lot.
1: All right. If it seems like we are cherry picking just the clips that makes Hunter look a little more negative than he actually probably is. In the interest of fairness, we all know that Triple H has got a lot of good friends and is known for being good to his friends. Here are two of the best Triple H moments from Something to Wrestle. Talking about Triple H mixing it up with two of his besties in the ring, the Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels and Big Sexy Kevin Nash.
0: Let's talk about the video package, speaking of Hunter, building up Shawn and Hunter here. They show some clips from 1997 with DX, uh, and then they show Shawn coming back in 2002 with the DX shirts and the skit. And ultimately, that sets up the pedigree. Uh, where Triple H gets to turn on his best friend, Shawn Michaels. And there's a great line from Hunter in this package here. I use Shawn to get to the top just like he used me to stay at the top. I thought this was one of the, the more well-done packages that were on the pay-per-view. Uh, what do you think of the package and the angle to bring Shawn in? And then we'll talk about the behind-the-scenes.
2: I uh, thought the package was excellent, and I thought the angle was excellent because it was... Logical and everybody can understand jealousy and everybody can understand a friendship and a bond getting broken up like that.
0: The video of someone jumping Sean from behind and then putting his head through a window, the bloody aftermath and then the reveal from Sean enhancing the video and then challenging Hunter to a match at SummerSlam. This feels like, you know, exactly what Vince was talking about in beyond the Mat. We make movies. Uh, What did you think of, the whole uh, jumping Shawn Michaels' head through the rental car, enhancing the video, the big, great reveal. I thought it was some of the better storytelling, even if it was a little predictable.
2: Well, here here's what you have. You have a guy that we didn't know what we really had in him In Shawn Michaels. he This is going to be his one-off, the only match we're going to do. We couldn't do a, a whole lot physically with him prior to that. So you don't want you, you can't have him work a match on TV um, You got to get creative in how you get him involved and we didn't want the audience to see them have that physicality. So yeah you just you, you got to get creative and get out there with your storytelling and I thought that it was beautifully done um, and again especially for us because we we had no idea what the hell we had.
0: All right, guys, the secret is out. If you want healthy sex, your body needs nitric oxide. And now you can boost your nitric oxide production faster than you thought possible with Ageless Male Max, the absurdly fast formula from the number one brand in male enhancement. And don't take our word for it. JoJo, our producer here on the show, he tells me that uh, things are different at his house now. Thanks to Ageless Male Max. You'll get clinically tested ingredients that rapidly boost nitric oxide production and it won't go unnoticed. Ageless Mail Max has already taken Walmart by storm and now you can get a 30-day supply delivered straight to your door. No questionnaires, no online tests. It's fast and discreet shipping. All you've got to do is text the word RAM to 797979. Get the rapid boost in nitric oxide production that you and your partner crave. Make her happy. Try the first 30-day bottle for free. Just pay shipping and handling. All you've got to do is text the word RAM to 797979. Now, if these results are too intense, please decrease use. That's RAM to 797979. This free offer is contingent on subscription, but you can cancel anytime. Message and data rates may apply. Um, Let's kind of talk about the backstage here because... I think everybody knows we're going to cover this at some point, long form. DX has been on the pole nine thousand times, and they lose every time. But I'm hopeful that they'll win eventually. Uh, but the story with Shawn Michaels and Triple H and DX is a fun one. It's been well documented. We'll get there eventually. Um, but Shawn ultimately becomes injured at the King of the uh, at the Royal Rumble 1998 in a casket match against the Undertaker. He goes over the top. Uh, waxes back on the edge of the casket, and supposedly this causes all kinds of back problems. That leads to a rather interesting first quarter in the WWE as we build towards WrestleMania 14. Shawn is not in a good place mentally, physically, or emotionally. Storms out of the press conference, and he's gone. And now this is going to be his first match back in the WWE. Uh, He has some trials and tribulations personally while he's out, Uh, he finds God, he turns his life over. Uh, he also had struggled with addiction. There's rumor and innuendo that he showed up under the influence to a WWE show once and kind of showed his ass and triple H even tried to put him in his place. And actually, according to the rumor and innuendo, take your pills, Bruce tries to have Sean removed. What can you tell us about the time in between? Because I think most people know that Sean said he was done with wrestling, never coming back, does things that are uncharacteristic of Sean. He does an RF video shoot interview. He opens a wrestling school. Thank goodness he did. We got, you know, Brian Danielson out of it. Um, And and, and in an effort to build his own promotion, actually works a match that I think people have forgot that went down in April of 2000 for the Texas Wrestling Alliance uh, against Paul Diamond what was going on in the downtime did he really get kicked out of an event what was the relationship like with sean and vince during this four-year gap what was it like with paul and sean to the best of your understanding
2: from my vantage point there was not a whole lot i don't remember sean getting kicked out that that's totally news to me um maybe maybe it happened i i have no idea I wasn't there don't remember that i do remember from time to time when we would be in San Antonio or maybe Austin that Sean would come by and say hello. That's where Undertaker and I uh, nicknamed him the little Dutch boy when he cut all his hair off. And he had kind of a bowl cut. And we didn't even know who the hell it was when we saw him. Uh, He had stopped training. He got way out of shape. I had gone down because Sean had started his wrestling school. So the only really the only interaction that I had with Sean during that time was, Hey, do you have any talent? Right. Um, get anybody that we might want to take a look at. I'd really love to come down and spend a weekend with you and see what you've got. So at first it was, I was met with "No, none of my guys ready yet to, and then eventually he warmed up to the idea and I I went to San Antonio. Sean picked me up and, We went over to the house, and then uh, we went to a show. And then the next day, we went out and saw his training class with Rudy Gonzalez there. Uh, There was Spanky, Brian Kendrick. Um, There was, uh, obviously, Daniel Bryan. There was Lance Cade. And I want to say there were four total. I can't remember the fourth one. But he had some really good talent there. And we talked back and forth, and and Sean would get in the ring with these guys. He wouldn't take bumps, but he would show them little things. And, and I remember after watching him in the ring training these guys, we, we went to a town that night where he had a little spot show. And I said, man, you know you've got another one in you. He said, nope, I've wrestled my last match. I'm done. And I said, you know, they all say that but I'll use the old bruiser and crusher analogy. All you've got to do is go out there and give them the entrance and kick and punch and throw a super kick, and they're going to be happy. His mindset was that if Shawn Michaels is going to appear, he has to be Shawn Michaels. Right. He's got to be the showstopper. He's got to be the main event. He has got to be the guy they remember. Not a fragment of that guy. So he had no desire. He's like, I'm I'm done. I'm not training anymore. And I remember he was eating a huge chocolate chip cookie. And he says, I'm eating chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> he says, I, I I'm done. I'm done. Not I'm not I'm not going back in the ring. And then eventually, I don't know, six months after that is when he had the street fight that he had in uh, San Antonio for his own promotion. And he was cleaning up his act. You know, we'd heard that he he was doing a lot better. He came down and saw us uh, in San Antonio and looked great, Uh, completely different than when I had been down and seen him in San Antonio before that. Um, Floated the idea out there. You got one more? Just one. And that's how we got here just floated it out there and he said yeah he trusted he trusted Hunter and felt that he and Hunter could have a match but they wanted to do a street fight so that he would be forgiven and not have to go out and have that Shawn Michaels wrestling match so
0: was the idea always to just do the one story here with Triple H and that be it
2: yep one hundred percent. One match, one time, this is it. He's not coming back. Not gonna get another one. This is it.
0: Um any sort of heat that you recall at all between Sean or Hunter here?
2: At this point, no. No, at this point they were excellent. Long lost buds. Happy to be back together. <laughs>
0: Hebner is the referee here, uh, and he has a big part in the match where he uh, admonishes Triple H for his behavior. It's not something that we see very often in a match, and it was weird kind of seeing him here because Hebner was such a staple in the WWE, and and now not so much. You were there when Hebner was, you know, exiled. Briefly tell us what happened there. We've never talked about it on the show before.
2: Uh, we were in. Gosh, somewhere in West Virginia or something like that. I, um, I can picture the building. I don't remember the particular name, but there was some kind of story that allegedly Dave and Earl had been selling uh, bootleg WWE merchandise, and they were released. It's one of those stories that has never been told uh, from really either side. And people put, you know, it's, it's all rumor and innuendo. What what I just told you, we weren't we weren't told we were got that surmised from uh, Earl later on that that's what that that's what they were accused of doing.
0: There's rumor and innuendo out there that the guy the Hebners were actually doing a bit of an embroidery type business, a screen printing business, and they were making WWE logo and branded swag. But actually giving it to the boys, including the McMahons themselves. That is true. So the, the allegation is they weren't just doing it to hook up the cast and crew, they were doing it to profiteer as well. And that's what Vince had a problem with.
2: Well, and, and apparently, uh, and, and again, this is all rumor and innuendo uh, rumor and innuendo was that whoever had the shop in. St. Louis or Kansas City, wherever the hell they were, um, was selling stuff out of his shop and that
0: that they had uh, made unlicensed without letting WWE
2: participate. Right. Right. And that's where the rub came. And because Dave and Earl were associated with them, that that was the last straw and they were gone. The last quick, I mean, it was, it was, they came in and left and were escorted out by security. Did
0: you think that was a fair way to handle them, given their time with the company?
2: I don't know all the particulars, but it was shocking to everybody. Uh, That was definitely something that had everybody buzzing, what the hell happened there? But it's also the the culture, uh, it's the culture of the company that things happen and and you go on with your life and and business continues. You still have your job to do and you just move forward, put your head down and go.
0: I mean, that's kind of what happened with you, right? Right. Do you think that um, if there is a flaw, because you don't, you don't often kind of fault Vince with much here, do you think that that is a character flaw His that he can just so quickly move on and, and throw so many years? You know, because this is, the Hebners have been here forever. And now, because of maybe a misunderstanding, I mean, I don't know, I wasn't there. Maybe a misunderstanding, their lives are forever changed. Do you think that that's maybe a care for character flaw, of
2: Vinces? I think it's it's a flaw, but it's also a defense mechanism for him too because that way he, he doesn't have to, you know, deal with it, and he can just move on and um, you're dead to me. So he, he, just, he just goes on and, and next. So I, I guess it's, it's a blessing and a curse all at the same time, Um, when you're there, you know, nothing else. It's, it's just, man, it's, it's, it's just the culture. It's just the way that it is. Right. And you accept it and you accept it blindly and and you move forward. Um, so, you know, everybody talks about Paul Heyman and the Kool-Aid that the same can be said for, you know, the WWE, because once you are in that bubble, that is all that exists. Life on the outside doesn't matter and doesn't exist.
0: Let's talk about the card again, because I feel like this is maybe the strongest year as far as the card that we've ever had for returns. You've got, in 2002, Triple H, Hulk Hogan, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, and Shawn Michaels all coming back uh, in 2002. Definitely, you know, the biggest comeback year in history. And, and to this point on the roster, 15 of the 18 wrestlers would be uh, world champions, either past, present, or future. And Shawn Michaels is still in one of the more featured matches here after you know more than four years on the sidelines. And Triple H had come back just that prior January, so he's only been back for about eight months. What was the expectation going into the match? Because it feels like this blows away every expectation possible.
2: The expectations were low.
0: I mean, I think that's fair. You know, you've got two guys who haven't worked each other in a long time, no matter how good of friends they are. And yeah, Sean was one of the greatest of all time, but after a four and a half year hiatus, you don't expect him to come back and somehow be fucking better than before.
2: Well, also, but also, they had never worked together against each other. Not like this, for sure. Yeah. And, and so you've got a lot of just unknowns. We weren't, you know, (laughs) this sounds, this sounds funny, but we weren't sure what the hell Sean's body looked like. We weren't sure if the, that when the, the damn, uh, shirt came off and the gear came off, you know, what, what he's going to look like. So we definitely didn't know after he got in the ring and, and being in front of that crowd, you can go out and do all the cardio you want, do the stair step, stepper for hours at a time. That is different than being in the ring and working a match. Completely different cardio, completely different uh, just blowing up factor. So we didn't know if Sean was going to go out there and blow up in 10 minutes. Sure. We didn't know if he was going to get out there and his back was going to seize up. Um, if he was just going to be off half a step, had no clue at all. The angle leading up to this, uh, who was in
0: charge of the majority writing for that? And who was the, who was the agent for the match? Do you remember?
2: I want to say it was probably Michael Hayes for the match at this time. Uh, Brian would have written the majority of the, of the storyline.
0: Uh, Sean has went on record as saying he didn't feel like he got closure from how his career had ended after WrestleMania 14 where he lost to Steve Austin. And so he goes to Triple H and says he wants to wrestle one more match. And and he specifically says he wants to do this because he wants his son to see him wrestle. And he asks Triple H to have the match with him. Is that the way you remember that going down that it was important to Sean for his son to see him wrestle much like we heard Goldberg say earlier this year?
2: Yes, definitely was. He, his son had heard about him and had seen, you know, tapes and different things, but he had never seen seen his dad wrestle.
0: Do you think,
2: um, and
0: I'm sure we'll cover this long form at some point, but do you think Sean's back was as injured as we were told it was at the Royal Rumble in 98? Or was Sean just burn out and had so much other stuff going on that he just needed to get out of the race car for a little while?
2: Well, I do believe that his uh, back was injured badly, but I also think that um, everything else combined exacerbated that. Right. Exacerbated the attitude. It exacerbated the injury, and it was the right time to go away.
0: So it makes all the sense in the world that Sean wants to come back here, but it also makes sense, and Triple H has said, that going into this match, Sean was scared. Sean's wife was scared. And even Sean's mom was scared. And Triple H says that he told Sean's mom something like, I won't let anything happen to your boy. Um, that feels like a big emotional dump that you're going to have in this match. And you guys all kind of felt that you had low expectations. Do you remember that being the thought amongst the writing team, amongst Vince, amongst the boys, or was it just more of a curiosity and just a natural assumption that, Man, four and a half years off, I mean, it's not going to be the Sean of 96.
2: No one expected the Sean of 96. Right. And as I had said to Sean when I was in San Antonio, people aren't expecting that. They're just going to be happy to see him come back, uh, throw some punches, and by God, hit the super kick and sell. That's all he had to do. Um, And as I expressed earlier, you know, Sean wanted to be Sean Michaels of old. He had to be the showstopper in the main event. Nobody, and I mean nobody, expected what we got.
0: Probably one of the best comeback matches of all. Let's hit some of the high points here. The sidewalk slam onto the folding chair. The backbreaker onto the holding chair. Holy shit, what a spot that was, knowing the history of his back and the story that had been told. And how great was Triple H being bloodied and then Sean nipping up to a big pop. The crowd was so with it. They were on that emotional roller coaster. That's when you knew to me, this is a great match. And they're pulling out all the stops here. The elbow through the table to the floor seems a little uh, uncharacteristic for a comeback match. But certainly, you know, they're wanting to pull out all the stops. They do the elbow off the ladder where beforehand Sean points to the crowd and says, I love each and every one of you. And then Sean selling from that elbow and then tuning up the band was just awesome. So one of the better closing sequences and maybe the best comeback match ever And Shawn is teasing the super kick, but all of a sudden, Triple H catches the kick rather than just taking the super kick and giving the fans their happy ending. They do a pedigree counter, uh, and all of a sudden, Shawn steals a pin. And Shawn's victorious, but Triple H attacks him after the match with a sledgehammer. What did you think of the match? This is maybe one of the best matches of 2002. If you haven't seen it, you should go out of your way to see it. Meltzer gave it four and three-quarter stars saying that, you know, this is a match that lines him up for the WWE Hall of Fame uh, or the, the Observer Hall of Fame. What would you think?
2: Ooh. I thought that the match, top to bottom, emotionally, physically, everything about it delivered on all levels. These guys went out, they're friends, and you're always going to work best with somebody that you like. Um, They proved it. They tore the frigging house down. And it was the right finish. It was the happy finish, but again, it was a one-off. We knew we had Hunter. We knew that what we were doing with Hunter going forward, so we had to get some heat back and and make him whole at the end. Um, It wasn't about a 50-50 thing. It was, okay, let's make him happy, but now, you know, I got, got to worry about the guy that's going to be here tomorrow. And we thought, okay, hey, great. We saw, you know, Sean's last match. He, he went out, went out in style. I don't think. Well, no, I, I'm not going to say that because I know better. Um, for me, I did not think that was Sean's last match. I don't. I, I look at. I look at everybody. I do. I do think we have seen Sean's last match but i i'm skeptical i always look at all these guys from undertaker to angle to everybody is like "Mm, they got another one left in them
0: somewhere online you can find video of this next bit uh it's triple h's appearance on abc's jimmy kimmel live which happened on june 11th and there's a four-year-old wrestling fan there named alex and they're interviewing the boy about who his favorite wrestlers are and he says goldberg and kevin nash and he predicts that Kevin Nash is going to beat triple H for the belt. Uh, of course he doesn't know that triple H buries everyone. So triple H responds, don't bet on it. And the kid punches triple H in the arm, which is hilarious. And when Jimmy Kimmel asks <laughs> asks triple H about his upcoming marriage to Stephanie McMahon, triple H pops off that he hopes him and Steph have a kid who will beat up Alex someday.
2: and then triple h pedigreed
0: the kid right through the fucking floor (laughs) he's just
2: merciless yeah oh yeah well fuck you
0: yeah yeah we'll show that kid
2: yeah um you're booked there you go fuck you
0: let's talk about our main event here kevin nash is going to play the foil for triple h they're doing a hell in a cell here triple h gets the win in 21 minutes Keller would write a bit methodical and plotting in points, but overall an intense battle. Hunter used a hammer and a screwdriver as a weapon. Special ref Mick Foley took some weapons away and got shoved off the apron for his trouble. Hunter Nash and Foley all bled. Hunter wins clean with the pedigree. No big stunts. Flair and Orton help Hunter up afterwards. Three and a quarter stars. Uh, Not a glowing review, but not a terrible review from Wade Keller. I got to say it is sort of a, a forgotten run here for Kevin Nash. Maybe it's because business was down a little bit, but I think when people think of Kevin Nash, they usually think of his first run as diesel, even though it was a much worse time for business. He was the tippy top guy. And I think they think of that run and then maybe more so his run with WCW as part of the NWO. But when he's here in 03 working with Triple H I don't know that a lot of people really talk about that. Why do you think Kevin Nash's Oh three run is sort of swept under the rug?
2: i think cause it was so short, you know, it was in and out and, and he was gone. Um, watching this match, I, I was, I didn't remember it and I was shocked and surprised thinking that, damn, this is not a bad match at all. No, I agree. And, and they, they utilize Foley. And Mick was all over the place. They told a believable story all the way through the thing, and um, it was a good it was good use of the cell, and it was believable. So you know, Hunter used everything under the sun to have to beat the big bastard. You know, and finally ended up with the the trademark sledgehammer. You know, he used a, a hammer in there. <laughs> the friggin' barbed wire. Two by four, which is standard under most rings. Whenever you order a ring, I think it comes standard underneath the ring nowadays. The barbed Unless, you, bar, get, unless bar. you get a 16 by 16 that's extra. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 But the 20 by 20 and, and 18 by 18 rings, they all come with a two by four wrapped in barbed wire underneath the ring. What
0: do you think of the match overall? I mean, Hunter's working in purple here as opposed to the standard issue black. Uh, Kevin Nash looks like a monster here. Uh, Foley has some interesting referee attire, and he's back in here. And as you said, you essentially make it a three-way. Foley's very active in the match. But in the end, Hunter wins
2: clean with a pedigree. Surprise! I didn't win clean with pedigree, he hit it with a sledgehammer. Well, but and I, then hit him with the pedigree. Well, but still. He hit him with a hammer. He hit him with the fucking two-by-four. And pedigree. then finally he got the uh, sledgehammer and got him into the pedigree.
0: As long as there's a pedigree, he's happy.
2: Well, fuck yeah. Yeah. What about what about the three times that Kevin Nash covered Hunter for 20 counts? No, it was a, it was a good match, and it was logical. And I, I thought that it, it was... It was better than I thought it was going to be. Looking back at it, I was dreading it because the early matches, you know, the last two matches saved this pay per view. You know, we had the redneck Bugs Bunny with Stone Cold Steve Austin earlier in the night and then all through the night, unfortunately. Um, and then the last two matches I thought were pretty damn good matches.
0: I guess we should mention here as a footnote. Uh, Nash loses his hair against Chris Jericho in August of this year. He's really losing the hair, though, for a movie role. And then he works at SummerSlam in the Elimination Chamber, and then he's out of here. Uh, he has uh, neck surgery, and he's out of the ring, and uh, WWE doesn't renew his contract in January of '04. So hopefully Kevin Nash wins a poll sometime, and we can talk about him uh, in a little more detail Bruce, I don't know that you have uh, kissed Hunter's ass enough. Do you want to get your chapstick out and put him over any more here?
2: I already put my chapstick on. My lips are burnt. Okay.
0: Was there ever any consideration to taking the belt off of Hunter or or at this point had Hunter decided he just didn't want to lose it?
2: To Kevin Nash? No, there was no consideration to put the title on Kevin Nash at all. And this was during the time that they were building the faction of evolution with Flair and Randy Orton and triple H. So the idea behind them was to have the championship and build it around that. Was there anybody sort of upset about these
0: guys being in the main event? They were the main event eight days prior at insurrection. Obviously that comes with a, a good payday. Uh, so their main event and in, in pay-per-views eight days apart. Anybody have anything to say about that? No,
2: they were top guys. It was top story.
0: I guess it's worth mentioning. They worked at judgment day, uh, for the world title as well. Uh, and then even going back, uh, before that we saw, um, well, you remember the run here. We'll talk about triple H another time. Let's briefly touch on, uh, the raw after the show here, the very next night, Mick Foley comes out for a promo and evolution follows and confronts Foley. And that leads to Randy Orton and Foley exchanging words. Um, this is going to have a fun payoff that I can't wait for us to talk about sometime. But the real reason I wanted to, uh, talk about this next night is what it sets up. At the end of the night, Triple H invites Kane to join evolution. And Austin comes out and gives Kane a title match for the next week. Bischoff comes out and says, if Kane doesn't beat Triple H, he will have to unmask and Kane chokeslams Triple H to end the show. We know where that's going to end because of course there's no chance Triple H is losing in 2003. Uh -uh. So the next week Kane has to unmask and turns heel in the process. This is the reign of terror here. Is it not?
2: Yeah, it was good shit, man. <laughs> I love Dude, this this that. this was, you know, this was that fucking rebuilding phase and it's as I often say, sometimes I just block shit out. <laughs> so much of this was blocked out and then you had to make me go back and relive it and rewatch it. Fuck me running.
0: Fuck you running. Yeah. That's, that's a Southern expression.
2: I haven't heard that. Well, you'd have to, you know, if you couldn't do that, then I know something that can increase your performance and give you that little extra confidence there, big boy.
1: Well, everyone, we hope we've brought you a complete picture of the man, the wrestler and the friend of Bruce Prichard, Triple H in this long awaited yet best of episode of something to wrestle. We try to create a fair and accurate portrayal of what was said in the show about someone who is on track to be the most powerful man in wrestling one day soon. Now that being said, I'd like to say a few words about my my longtime close personal friend Triple H. Oh, okay, I get it. Shivani is sucking up Triple H, but really, Paul is a great guy, and I think anybody who knows him knows I'm telling the truth. Hey, by the way, don't forget to check out Conrad Thompson. And yours truly in what happened when it drops every Wednesday on the MLW radio network. And by the way, if you want to catch it early, it drops on Monday to all of our friends on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash WHW Monday. We close with one of the most controversial episodes of Triple H's career, as well as one of the most talked about moments of the show, Triple H and Booker T. Need I say more?
0: In the last Raw of February, Booker T actually wins a battle royal to determine who is going to get a title shot against Triple H at WrestleMania. It comes down to The Rock and Booker T, and I think most people assumed The Rock was going to actually win that, but surprise, surprise, Booker T gets the nod. You guys are sort of left to figure out what you're going to do here. Of course, Brock won the Royal Rumble, so Brock is going to go after Kurt Angle. We know that. Was there a hard and fast rule or a real plan for the other title for the raw belt at this point? I mean, if you know that, Hey, Brock's going to win the Royal rumble, we're going to put, you know, him and Kurt in the main event for the SmackDown title. Okay. We got to do something for raw. Fuck it. Let's just do a battle Royal on raw. That feels sort of thrown together. Was
2: it kind of, and you know, the when you look at the totality of the WrestleMania card itself, when you've got the return you know you're gonna have the return of Rock and Austin, the third match. That's an attraction in and of itself. Doesn't need a, a title involved in it. It's about pride at this point. When you know you're gonna have Vince and Hulk and within within the company for us and I was more on the SmackDown side during this period, it was all about crowning the new champion in Brock Lesnar. So, unfortunately, by default, the Raw World champion was, I I don't want to say a secondary concern. To me it was, because I was SmackDown, but it the cache was frankly on the other matches. And so you want to do something to try and bring somebody up and that being Booker T, um, and still feature that match as best you can. But there wasn't, you know, unfortunately that's just the way that the, the cards kind of fell. Was there consideration
0: ever like before the matches went sideways? for Scott Steiner to be the guy in here at WrestleMania against Triple H.
2: No, because Vince didn't want to have didn't want to have that rematch. Um so no, to answer the question, no. At that point there there wasn't because he had it at Royal Rumble. He didn't want to go that many times at WrestleMania. Wanted something fresh for WrestleMania.
0: So, he didn't want a rematch for Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner's not even on the card. What did he want for Scott Steiner here? If not another match with Hunter.
2: At this, at this point, he was not real happy with the Scott Steiner experiment and was looking to try and do something else with him and move him into a tag team.
0: I'm not asking at this point. I mean, originally, like it does feel like we're sort of rushing a triple H world title match with Booker T. It feels like Scott Steiner's left with really nothing to do. I'm just, and you said that wasn't the plan ever. So the plan was just. Let's beat Scott Steiner and then let his ass sit at home. And then let's make our other world title opponent just be decided by a battle Royal.
2: At that point. Yes, that is what it was. And it wasn't about just let the guy sit at home. You can't, you can't have every, everybody on the roster cannot be on as much as we try. And sometimes there's just nothing creatively for them. And if you do something else, it's forcing them in there. And wanting to do something new, you're forced with that task of okay, you've got to do something new. You don't have a lot of time. Make a battle royal. Make a make a contender for the championship.
0: Sometimes you just want to be argumentative, man. Let's just move on. No,
2: I see that. That's what it's like. You guys can sit back. Twenty twenty. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? There's a lot of extenuating circumstances. I, I'm we not I'm to not have asking, John Cena I'm, be a big part of this. We had deals in place for John Cena with the rappers to be a big part of WrestleMania. They dropped out. They agreed up front. You get into the promotion. You're going, going, knowing this is what you got. They drop out. You've moved on with other guys. Now there's no place for John Cena. Why wasn't John Cena on there? No, no. Because I get it. Because unfortunately his shit didn't drop out. Why wasn't Scott Steiner on there? Because there was not a place for him at that time.
0: I'm not arguing why he wasn't on it. I'm asking what the original plan was. And
2: you said, "And I I, I don't remember. I don't remember. There even was an original plan for him.
0: So Booker T comes to the ring on the first raw of March and he's hyping up his WrestleMania title match. And then triple H comes out and this is where things get interesting. This is directly from the torch. Uh, yeah, Booker is going to WrestleMania, but someone quote, like you end quote, doesn't get to be world champion. Triple H said people like you don't get to be world champion. That's reserved for people like me. Triple H said Booker isn't here to be a competitor. He's here to be an entertainer. So Triple H asked for a little dance and for one of those spinner and said, come on book dance, entertain me. That's your job. You're here to make people laugh and you're very good at it with your nappy hair and your suckas. Hell, I was laughing all week after you won that 20-man over-the-top battle royal. i laugh my ass off thinking about you challenging me for the World Heavyweight Championship. You see, Book, I understand that you've been the five-time WCW World Heavyweight Champion. I get all that. But let's face it. That place was a joke, Book. And then he goes on to Rick and says, correct me if I'm wrong, Rick, but... Wasn't that the same time the other illustrious superstars such as David Arquette and some guy named Vince Russo was champ, right? Let's face it, Buck. You championshipped that place right into the ground. I'll give you this. You have your moments. Last week when you threw the rock over the top rope, hell, that was a moment. Think about it for a sec. What does that give you? What do you get? You're going to get to go to WrestleMania. This is not some nickel and dime fly by night gig Buck. This is the real deal. It's WrestleMania, the biggest show on earth, the big daddy, you're going to go and you're going to be in the main event and you're going to wrestle the greatest professional wrestler alive on the planet today. You're going to wrestle the game and you're going to step in with the end. all be all of this business. And when you get there, you're going to do what people like you always do. You're going to lose. Of course, Booker takes issue with this and, um, He says, somebody like me, is going to ragtag your ass and beat you for the world championship. Of course, JR on commentary, putting over the baby face. Damn right. Booker, you got to believe brother. And then Hunter says something like good luck, but good luck, Booker. You're going to need it. Oh, and another thing. Good luck in your match with Scott Steiner. Good luck because with a guy like Scott Steiner, you might even be lucky to make it to WrestleMania. So people are going to form their own opinion about this promo and Lord knows they already have. It's our most requested thing to talk about this week. Who wrote the dialogue?
2: I believe Brian Gawertz wrote the promo. However, I think that, you know, when you take it out of context and you go look at the entire promotion of what that match was about and what the whole angle was about, it was about someone from WCW that had held that championship five times before thinking that they were worthy to headline a WWF WrestleMania. And that was the content, you know, again, when you isolate one promo and a few lines out of one promo and the way it was delivered and the way you just delivered it. Okay. It can be taken in a lot of ways, the way it was intended and the way it was written and the way that the whole angle was laid out was about Booker T being the standard bearer of WCW because at that time, Booker was the biggest star to come out of WCW five time world champion. And can you really, you really think that you can hang in the main event of a WrestleMania? That was a storyline and people like to pick out, you know, this one promo and little and lines out of it and say, okay, delivered how they were. And I granted, how they were delivered. You can take it a lot of ways, but the intent and the way that the angle was laid out was exactly as I just laid it out to you. Let me just say before I shit all over it, that I can defend some of this.
0: Someone like you doesn't get to be world champion could not only be said to Booker T, but it could be said to hurricane Helms, a white guy. Hurricane was a tremendous character, but he was there quote unquote, to make people laugh. And you're very good at it you know, the way the hurricane character was presented, it was supposed to be fun. That was the idea. And obviously Booker T coming out and doing the spinner Rooney. It's supposed to be fun. I can get behind that. And I can even get behind people like you and not necessarily jump to, boy, that's some bullshit. However, when he throws in your nappy hair, pretty fucking hard for me to get behind.
2: Oh, and I don't get behind the nappy hair either. And you know, you go fast forward or go backwards. Rock saying that was all okay. Well, but, but you know and, and, why but that again, is. I'm, I'm saying you're you're saying it because a white man saying it to a black man that that's bad. And I'm saying that it's not good at all. So I'm not going to defend it. I'm just telling you what the angle and what it was. And people like to pick out, you know, certain, certain words. You want to pick out that one thing. But when you look at the overall scope of it, that was what the angle was about someone from wcw who had been a five-time champion not being worthy of being in the wwe with
0: his nappy hair
2: well that's the one thing you want to pick on and that's what you want to hang your hat on then cool
0: you know there is a, a section of fans we're going to skip ahead here obviously we're going to cover it in great detail but there's a section of fans who think that this offensive bullshit because that's really what i think it is They think that, you know what, this would have been okay. I mean, not really, but it would have been less bad. Maybe that's the right way of saying it. If he'd have won. So if you're sort of burying him and, you know, I'm not saying Hunter's a racist in real life. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this promo, you could misconstrue or maybe not even misconstrue. I'm not saying that you can't misconstrue it. You could be led to believe, Hey, they're going with a racist gimmick here. But the hope is at the end that the underdog, the babyface, the good guy, the guy who's being persecuted fucking overcomes and wins. And that doesn't happen. Do you believe that if some of this, you know, some of the more questionable remarks here would have existed, but then Booker won the belt, that maybe it would still be a hot button for fans all these years later.
2: I think that it probably would have alleviated a lot of that. Had that happened. Was that...
0: When, when Hunter is out here saying nappy hair and dance and make me laugh and people like you at that moment, not three weeks after, but at that moment, was the plan for him to go out here, get the heat, and then he's going to drop the belt at WrestleMania or was the plan at this point already, all right, go out there and embarrass him and say some racist shit and then we'll smash his ass at WrestleMania.
2: Well, no, first of all, the plan was always for Hunter to go over at WrestleMania. And that was always the plan from the initial get-go. But again, you know, I, I love it when you sit there and you, you want to book everything. And I, Well, if everything's a happy end, then what? Then what do you do? And when you look at the whole picture and you try to book a, a card like WrestleMania, you've got to have your ebbs and flows. You've got to have your peaks and valleys. And Vince was adamant from the very start. There was one major title that was going to change hands in his eyes that night, and that was Brock. We were crowning one guy, one new baby face, and that was it, and it was going to be Brock's night. And everybody knew that from the start. That was never, you know, from time to time, it'd be brought up, what if? No. it's all we're going to do. We're crowning Brock that night. There was, there was really no more debate beyond that. So it's easy to sit back and go, well, they should have done it. But No. When you talk about the overall story and you talk about the whole package and everything else that you have to do and everybody else on the card and all the other matches and all the other stories, no, that would not have been the best thing to do. Well,
0: you know, I'm just saying it feels like it would have been a natural thing when you're saying, Oh, you could give them a happy ending. That does feel like the formula for wrestling, but not with triple H because six months prior to this, uh, he was fucking guys, dead girlfriends and corpses. And that sets up a pay-per-view match. And oh, by the way, he wins there too. So get your chapstick out motherfucker. You can't defend this. The babyface should have won.
2: No, he shouldn't have won in the whole damn. No, he shouldn't have. He shouldn't have. Again, go out and buy a wrestling promotion and go out and promote it for 10 years. And with that logic, it won't last too. I'll tell you you this, if an indie promoter... You have to have heels and baby faces. You have to have something for the baby face to overcome. And if you go in every big show, well, the baby face overcomes it, then there's you got to have them so, have something for them to fight for don't
0: be ridiculous i'm not suggesting that the baby face has to always prevail you just I,
2: said they you just said that's the formula and that's what we should do always have a happy ending
0: no i'm not saying that but it is baby face territory you've told us on that for this fucking show for two years true or false that is true okay so but not if the not if the baby face has nappy hair right no Okay.
2: I'm telling you that the end of the night for WrestleMania that night, we wanted one guy to be the star, one guy for the big championship. That one big title change that was to be Brock Lesnar. I'm fine
0: with that. I think my question is in hindsight, can you just say, so,
2: so you're saying we made our decision on Booker's hair. No, I'm
0: saying if you knew he wasn't going to win, maybe you shouldn't have included that shit because it's not a well, good Well, I look. didn't
2: include it. And again, that goes back to delivery sometimes. And it goes back to, if you look at the totality, not one promo, you look at the totality of the entire promotion. And I think you will find that we didn't focus on his nappy hair. That's one line out of one promo. When you look at the totality of everything that we did in that promotion, you will see It was about WCW and WWF. Can You just say, hey, we fucked up. We shouldn't have had him say that. Oh, I dude, Do I think he should have said that? I said that already. No, I thought it was bad. I don't think he should have said that. I don't think that that was written for him. But I don't know that he didn't go to Booker. And they said, hey, yeah, go ahead and do that. I don't know that. But I'm saying that I don't think it was good, but I also know it wasn't written that way. And that wasn't the intent. And that also isn't the way that the overall promotion was delivered.
0: Do you think, um, WWE would ever veer into this territory
2: again in 2018? God, I would hope not. Did you ever have, you know, when you look back, there's a lot of things that were done that never should have been done. Sure tons doesn't you know again when you revisit it revisionist history yes there's a shitload of that
0: do you remember there being any sort of comment from the locker room from guys like ron simmons or whoever who maybe had an opinion on this promo
2: You know, I don't know anybody that had an opinion on that specific promo that said anything, but I will tell you that there were times over the years that guys like a Ron Simmons or like Booker that would have said, you know, hey, go ahead and go there.
0: All right, as we wrap things up here, I want to remind everybody that Ageless Male Max has a patent-pending formula with an ingredient that helps you boost your total testosterone, which is going to promote greater increases in muscle size, twice the reduction in body fat percentage, and an amazing 64% increase in nitric oxide, which can be handy in the gym and in the bedroom. Try your first 30-day bottle for free. Just pay shipping and handling. When you text the word RAM to 797979,
2: message and data
0: rates may apply.
2: Again, trying to create natural, you know, animosity and get people going, ooh, did they say that? Did they really just do that? And that was a different time in the business. And doesn't and it doesn't make it right at all in any way shape or form did you ever have a
0: conversation you know you're really i guess we should say right now full disclosure booker t is one of your best friends in real life true or false Absolutely. and he was our guest uh out in our las vegas live show a couple of months ago and we've got another one of your great friends who's going to join us tomorrow in florida but I know at different times you guys have to have conversations about the business. Did you ever talk to him about this brief feud or promo or match at WrestleMania or any of that with Hunter? Did that ever come up in y'all's quiet time?
2: Yeah, it has. I mean, we've talked a lot about, you know, this exact, you know, type of situation from, you know, Vince saying the N word on TV and me having to go to Booker and talk to him about it. And Booker being cool with it, you know, yeah, go ahead, man. And, uh, being cool with it. I think Booker's a realist and looks at it. And he's a very proud man that is willing to go out there and fight for everything that stands, you know, that he stands for, and he stands for being a man (laughs) just first and foremost. And I, I never looked at, you know, it's like, I, I said to Booker one time, you're black. Really? Um, He's a man and that's all he is. And, and I go back to the, the way, the antiquated way that the wrestling business used to be where JYD leaves the Mid-South territory. And the answer to that is I've got to get a black baby face. Wait a minute. Don't you just have to get a baby face? Mm-hmm. Why does it matter what color they are? Right. Well, Because JYD was black and he was a big draw in Louisiana. No, JYD was just a draw. He drew whites, he drew blacks, he drew browns, he drew everything. He drew. But in fairness, you know,
0: we hear that narrative as wrestling fans all the time that hey, they really want to put Alberto de Rio in a prominent spot because they're trying to get the Hispanic community. And and maybe ten years before that it was Rey Mysterio. But with the idea that if you have a Mexican star, you can attract a Mexican audience. There is truth to that, right?
2: It helps. It helps with the Hispanic audience if you speak their language. Yes. However, the stars that were able to, that happened to be Hispanic, Eddie Guerrero drew everybody. Rey Mysterio draws everybody. Alberto draws everybody. That's the magic. They happen to be Hispanic. Use that. Use their bilingual. Use their attraction. Use their Hispanic heritage to bring the Hispanics that we may not Have watching our product that may only want to watch because they want somebody like themselves to root for. So, you know, yes, that's been,
1: you know, that's marketing 101. And that's this week's episode of Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard and, of course, Conrad Thompson. Be sure to join us next week right here on the MLW Radio Network as well as on Bruce Pritchard's own Patreon website. I'm Tony Schiavone. Thanks for being with us. Long live my good buddy, Triple H. Yeah, I know, I'm sucking up.